0: Welcome to this week's episode of The Vertical Podcast with J.J. Reddick. This week we are joined by ESPN writer and fellow podcaster, Zach Lowe. Let's get it. This episode of The Vertical Podcast with J.J. Reddick is brought to you by the European Watch Company. As many of you may know, watches are a passion of mine. I spend many hours a week studying and trying to find the next grail piece for the collection. A company that I love and I am truly enthused to represent on this podcast is European Watch Company out of Boston, Massachusetts. When dealing with rare and important watches, you want to deal with a company and a person that you can trust and that represents the product accurately, which is why I love curating my collection with Joshua Ganje, the second generation family at European Watch Company. I love using the European Watch Company app for smartphones. The app is always up to date with the latest additions including new, pre-owned, and vintage watches from all the top brands such as Patek Philippe, Rolex, Audemars Piguet, JLC, IWC, A Alongason, and way, way more with the latest updated inventory ready to be shipped FedEx overnight to your door. You can easily sell or trade your watches by uploading a few photos of your watch through the sell or trade page. I've done this many times and it's very easy. I was looking for an official watch sponsor for the podcast and I was thrilled when Joshua reached out to me for the position. There is no better fit for me. Of course, remember to let Joshua know you are a friend of mine and you heard about European Watch Company through the JJ Reddick podcast to ensure the best deal. Contact Joshua directly to be sure you're well taken care of. His email is easy, joshua at europeanwatch.com and grab the app in the app store or at europeanwatch.com. Whether you're an amateur collector or an addict like myself, European Watch Company will have the watch for your budget. If you are looking for a trusted place to curate or liquidate your collection, look no further than European Watch Company. It's the place.
1: Yahoo Sports presents the Vertical Podcast with JJ Reddick, powered by digital media. Find
0: your voice. And now, your host,
1: JJ Reddick.
0: Welcome back to the Vertical Podcast. Lots going on right now between the season, preseason practice, all that good stuff, being the father of two children, very challenging, very, very challenging, and of course, doing this podcast, we're going to jump right into this week's guest, very excited to have Zach on the podcast, we've been trying to make this happen for a while now, and uh, as luck would have it, we have him on two weeks before the regular season starts, so let's get right into the conversation with Zach Lowe. Zach, thanks for coming on the show, man. My pleasure. How you doing? You know what? I'm good. Uh, you were supposed to be this this past week's guest, but um, I was a little under the weather at training camp, so I had to cancel on you. So I appreciate you being flexible. I've been told that my episode with Balmer, I sound a little sick, and and you... Obviously, didn't get to hear me the next day, but the following day I was even worse.
1: I thought you bumped me for Bomber. That's what I thought happened <laughs> when I saw the Bomber one come out. I even sent you an email, said, "Look, man, I, you know, I'm happy to go on your podcast, but if you're just going to bump me for more famous people, that's how it's going to be. You know,
0: well, I may have to reconsider." Doc tried to get on this week, and I was like, "Doc, uh, you know what? I already bumped Zach once. I'm gonna no. I'm just kidding. He didn't. He didn't. No, I, I figured I, I had to get Bomber on at some point. He's the guy who uh, you know crosses the t's and dots the i's on the check, so." Probably a good idea. Yeah. Um, th- this is a little bit of reciprocity, though, because I've been on your podcast twice. Uh, once we did a video podcast in person in New York, and then we did a sort of a bonus podcast when the whole DJ hostage situation went down two summers ago. And to this day, people come up to me all the time and they tell me how much they enjoyed that conversation that we had.
1: Yeah. I don't, first of all, there's no reciprocity. I'm happy to do it. Reciprocity or no. Second of all, I have to go through certain gatekeepers at my company to come on a podcast like this. And I did tell them, like, I don't look at the numbers of anything I do. Podcast columns. I don't wanna know how many people, how few people, whatever. I have a feeling that podcast with you about DeAndre was probably the highest rated or whatever I ever did. Just because it was it was like right after it was like the day after or something. It was super soon after that all went down.
0: Yeah, I think it was. It was in, within 48 hours that you released it. And at the time, I mean, I wasn't super into podcasts. I mean, I'd heard of a few podcasts, and I'd been on yours, and I'd been on Bill's. But yeah, I, it was like right after. I mean, people just kept coming up to me, "Hey, I heard you on Zach's podcast. It was it was awesome." And I guess I guess people listen to podcasts. Uh, when I was doing a little bit of research on you, oh I, I've, I've known you for now for like five years. I found something out. It, you used to be a, a crime and government reporter for the Stanford Advocate, and then you did two years at the American Lawyer. Is the is your Wikipedia page correct? Uh, someone pointed out to me recently <laughs> that I do have a Wikipedia page. It is correct.
1: I mean, it's very short. Um, if anyone wants to add any more detail, they can feel free to do that. All, the, all those things are correct and not that interesting, but they're correct. Yeah,
0: It's a hell of a way to start a career – as an NBA writer, and, and obviously since then, uh, I believe you, you wrote for a Celtics uh, blog, then SI, Grantland, and, and now ESPN. As you were sort of moving through from the, your career as a crime and government reporter into an NBA writer, how did you develop not only just the context, but sort of the vocabulary and the lingo, because you're one of the more technical writers in the NBA in terms of knowing sort of the lingo that coaches and players use? I viewed that actually as
1: as like my way in, right? Like I came in through the side door. I was covering things that were not sports or not NBA at all. And I wanted to transition because I was kind of bored and and I had a sense from talking to editors at at big publications that there was kind of an opening and a a demand for NBA writers. But like I had a full-time job and I couldn't shortchange my full-time job. And there was only so much time I had to, like, write about the NBA in the evenings, basically. And I couldn't get press credentials to a game because I wasn't at that point freelancing for anybody reputable, really. And so, you know, it's not like I can go meet coaches and scouts who could teach me stuff. So I just started reading. I started watching a lot and reading a lot of the people who really understood what was going on on the floor because I thought if I can write – If I can write in an appealing way about the X's and O's of the game, like that may be my wedge in. And if I ever do get a full time job doing this, then I can get press credentials and do all the stuff and get the access. But I have a sense that's going to take a while and I need to do something that might build a little bit of an audience before I get there. And and I couldn't really think of anything else. And I, I just felt like that was a that there weren't that many people doing that because it's I think there was a sense not long ago that like people just wouldn't be interested. Like it was just not going to be anything that was interesting. And I I kind of disagreed. And I saw like the writing that was like that, that I saw, I did find it interesting. So I thought if I find it interesting, maybe other people do. And I just kind of
0: started diving in. In a way, I do think it is surprising how many people are interested in the technical side of things. Like the casual fan, maybe no, but in talking about how to, Sort of guard a pick and roll on the side, whether you you show and force it to the middle, or you ice it and you keep it down to the baseline, and the bigs in the zone. Like there's actually there's people that sort of get off on that technical jargon of the NBA, and it's it's not simple. It's pretty complicated.
1: Yeah, and I think you got to be careful to balance everything, right? Like, I think no matter what your core shtick or whatever is, you can't just do that. You can't just shove the same thing down people's throat for over and over and over again or for too long. So, you got to spice it up. You got to be able to do other stuff. You got to be able to have a podcast or actually interview other human beings face to face (laughs) and get information. Um, but I do think there was a sense in. I imagine I don't really follow any other sports anymore, but you can tell by some of the writers who have have kind of risen in other sports. Like, there's a sense that people want to get beneath the he's clutch, he's a wimp, he's you know he's not clutch, and like, okay, so what actually underpins what's happening? Like when right. this when this guy scores, like why does he score? When when JJ Redick hits five corner threes. Like what? Like he's a good shooter. Why is he getting like I think there was a hunger for that because there was so much other kind of coverage that there was I I guess there was a hunger for that.
0: Yeah. Why are you leaving this guy open in the corner? Well, there's a reason because DeAndre Jordan is is rolling down the middle of the lane. And if you don't pick him up on the roll, he gets a dunk. So I totally agree with you. As you were sort of uh, developing this knowledge, though, like who were the people that sort of either helped you out or, or you mentioned writers, the the writers that really influenced not necessarily your style, but just sort of uh, your lingo of the game?
1: Well, it's funny. There weren't that many people doing X's and O's, but there was a guy named Sebastian Pruiti who now works for the Thunder. I think he he was the video coordinator. I think he's been promoted since then. I don't remember, but he was the first one to do it with like pictures And that, I think, set people on fire a little bit of like, okay, now I can imagine, I can actually visualize, because you're doing the work for me, what you're talking about. Kevin Arnovitz, who you probably, I'm sure you know Kevin Arnovitz. Yeah, I know Kevin well. He would write, you know, six, seven years ago, I mean, he was doing Clipper blog, and then he got hired by ESPN, and he also came in kind of through the side door. He would write these, like, beautiful two-paragraph descriptions of an action that occurred in like the third quarter of some crappy clippers game and you would be like that's that no one is doing that and that's interesting and he's writing it with pop and i got through three paragraphs and i kind of want more like those were two of the guys and and like I just, you know, in terms of just basketball writing, I mean, I've always said John Hollinger to me is the gold standard for just sort of let me get into the cap, the X's and O's. Like he was kind of a, a jack of all trades and and wrote in such a lively style. He was the one that, that that I think set the bar for a long time.
0: He was still a writer when I first got to the league. I can't remember what year he started working for the Grizzlies, but I know early on in my career. I came across some of his stuff maybe my first or second off season, uh, and that's really when I started paying attention to this. And you're right. It was like, holy crap, this is totally different than sort of the, the, the spiel that you always get, the narrative that you always get fed. It's like there's some substance to it, and I think for anybody who, who wants that, you can really appreciate it. I, I want to ask you, though, is as you were learning sort of this technical jargon and the lingo of the NBA, the different strategies, whether it was offense or defense, uh, were there any things that specifically like stuck out to you? Like, why do teams do this? Like, why would a team let a guy come middle on a side pick and roll? Like was there anything that really struck you as as odd as you were learning this? That's a great question.
1: Um, it, no. I, well, the one thing that I, I've always wanted to write something and and people touch on it in a lot of stories about whether teams help too much in the middle yeah. of the floor, whether there's yeah. over whether there's over helping in the middle of the floor and I've never really found a good or interesting sort of like lever into that but that was always as I was learning it the X's and O's that was something that always struck me and I th- and I think maybe part of it is that people like me underestimate just the sheer explosiveness of NBA athletes what like this is just a total theory but what looks like over there is such a thing as overhelp right you probably get everyone gets coached like you helped too much or you went yeah. too far away from the shooter but I think fans and and writers maybe see things that look like overhelp, but are really like if you're not actually at the nail at the foul line, like that guy's gonna dunk in about half a yeah. second, and like maybe we underestimate so so yeah, yeah, you leave j r Smith open, but like the yeah. the guy's gonna dunk if you don't do that, even though yeah. it may not look like it. That's one thing that's sort of stuck in my mind as a topic I wanted to explore more
0: well, I think there are two parts of that number one, I think the league is sort of trended away from the overhelp. I think maybe like six, seven years ago when when sort of the Thibodeau defense got you know a lot of credit when he was with Boston and first started with Chicago. Everybody was sort of you know making teams play to the weak side and really loading up on the strong side. And, and what that left open a lot of times was that weak side corner three. And I know we changed our strategy uh, two years ago to kind of make the pick and roll uh, more of a two-on-two thing than mm-hmm. adding that third defender. That, well, that third defender's there. But he's not, like, overcommitting, you know, and, and just sitting in front of the rim. He's he's sort of in that in-between mode and sort of reading where the role man goes. Uh, the second part of that is, you know, you mentioned sort of, like, when you're watching the game. And for as a player, you know, we see a lot of film. And, and it, it always drives me crazy, like, when I watch TV and they freeze frame it. Or, like, when I'm watching film with a coach and they freeze frame it. And they're like, you should be a step closer. Or "You now you're overhelping. And I'm like it's happening so fast like you're freezing you know live action it is it is extremely difficult to sort of make those reads in real time do you feel so like you when you
1: came into the league you know either the book on jj reddick he's a great shooter small wingspan too slow classic white guy shooter is going to struggle on defense do you feel like the like emergence of the spread pick and roll and all the sort of like we're talking about the third guy On defense, right? The third guy, the help defender. That's all we're talking about. We're not even talking about the guys like that are doing anything against the ball. So do you feel like the increasing importance of like how to do that, how to like navigate, like how to be a step in the right place or not a step in the wrong place for that third like that? You are known now, I think, is a good quote unquote team defender. First of all, do you think that's a do you think that's a fair label for you? And second of all, do you think that sort of helped you become uh, like a better, more, I don't know what the right word is, pliable right. defensive player?
0: Well, I think there's, so so part of that is like be, being on the ball or being in action where let's say you're you're chasing Clay Thompson or Ray Allen off a, off a pin down or something like that or whether you're involved in the pick and roll. And like my goal there is always sort of be adequate. And like I just don't have the physical tools to be a lockdown defender. I don't have the wingspan or the height or, or the strength or the lateral quickness. So, so my goal always there was just sort of like, you know, just stay in front and make guys make contested shots. That's still my goal. But I thought where I could really add value, and and this is where, you know, my relationship with Stan was so important to my career, was just kind of completely understanding concepts, and then game to game understanding the game plan. And that's where I think, as I've gotten, you know, further along in my career, I've gotten better, and then of course you get to the point where it, it sort of becomes automatic. So yeah, in a way, like the way the league has trended with spread pick and rolls has helped me on both sides of the ball. But again, I mean, that goes back. I mean, every I think every, just everybody in the league, like you have to be adaptive. You, you know what I mean? Like if you're an inefficient volume scorer whose you know go-to thing is to isolate, like that's not how teams play. So you've got to adapt now.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, I I think we're seeing that with uh, well, I don't want I don't want to get you in trouble where you start talking bad about other players, even though, like, <laughs> but I think we're seeing that was I I was having a conversation with a front office guy yesterday about Rudy Gay, and just it, the the conversation was okay, so the trade market for Rudy Gay doesn't seem to be very robust. So why is he just sort of automatically going to get 13, 14, $15 million a year, whatever it is in the off season, if, if the league has sort of agreed, okay, we don't really want to give anything up to get him in a trade, but here's like a huge amount of money to do your stuff that the league is like Rudy Gay, I don't think is, is an example player who has not adapted. Now you can be like Carmelo Anthony, I think adapted last year. Like he had his highest assist rate. He's a great pick and roll player. He shot more threes when D'Antoni was there and has sort of continued that, but he's so damn good anyway from the triple threat position that his level of adaptation doesn't have to be as high as someone like Rudy Gay who's not quite as good and the league is sort of you do see it trending away from those players like if you if you need the ball a lot and you're not a great shooter and you're not a great passer it's become pretty damn hard for you
0: you're right it has become hard the other thing too i think with Rudy Gay not just specifically about Rudy Gay but just anybody sort of in that situation whose game is more tailored to isolation having the ball in your hands like it's okay to be that player I, I guess maybe it's not okay to be that player on a team with two or three other guys who also need the ball in their hands. So I think, you know, it's it's sort of like the the way Chris and I complement each other on the court. You know, I think you need to sort of structure teams where, you know, if you have guys that can play off the ball, you have cutters, you have screeners, you have bigs that roll, then maybe a guy like Rudy Gay, you know, does have value and can go can go get you points. And someone is going to trade for Rudy Gay, by the way. And if, if he shoots 37%
1: from three, then he's then he becomes fine. If he shoots 28% for three, then he doesn't become fine. But, yes, yeah, somebody, will, somebody will trade for him. And if it's the right circumstance and he doesn't have the ball a lot or he's your secondary ball handler or whatever it is, like maybe it'll work. Who knows?
0: This is the Vertical Podcast with J.J. Redick. Zach, hang on one second. I want to tell my listeners about Harry's Razors. You know I value the importance of looking sharp and one way to look sharp is to make sure you have a good shave. You can have that great shave with Harry's razors. Harry's five blade razors include a softer flex hinge for a more comfortable glide, a trimmer blade for hard to reach places, a lubricating strip, and a textured handle for more control when it's wet. Harry's blades are just $2 each compared to the $4 or more you'll pay at the drugstore. How are they able to do that? They own the factory in Germany where they make the blades. Harry's is so confident in the quality of their blades, they'll send you their popular free trial set, which comes with a razor, five blade cartridge, and shaving gel. Get your free trial set when you subscribe, just pay $3 for shipping, and I have a special offer just for my listeners. Enter code JJ at checkout to get a post-shave balm for free with your order. Go to harrys.com right now, that's H-A-R-R-Y-S dot com, and enter code JJ at checkout to claim your free trial set and post-shave balm. That's harrys.com, code JJ. Now back to my guest, Zach Lowe. We're on the topic of league-wide trends, uh, and I know I gave you some fair warning on this topic, so I'm hoping you you give me something maybe that I haven't thought of. But everybody talks about sort of small ball, and and the league has always, to me, been sort of a copycat league, like when, when a team sees another team has success or a team sees another team has success maybe tanking. And they get a good draft pick. Hey, maybe that works. We're going to try that. And and teams sort of copycat each other. Of course, the thing right now is sort of positionless basketball and having four perimeter guys and a rim defender. But is there something I'm missing? Is there something that you're seeing either in roster construction, uh, how teams are using cap space, or any strategic things uh, that you see maybe will emerge as trends over the next couple of years?
1: Well, first of all, like – For all the talk about, I mean, I feel like I write this piece every year, but yes, the league is trending in certain ways, but there are still a lot of good centers. Like there are almost as many good, there are essentially as many good centers if you just go by basic stats like PER or something and you just sort for like who's playing X amount of minutes and has X PER. There are as many good centers now as there were in the mid-90s, which is like the golden age of centers with Shaq and Ewing and Olajuwon and all that, or one of the golden ages of centers. And all these teams, like for all the talk again about the league downsizing like the Wizards have five centers the Kings have five centers the Sixers have five centers the Pistons have four centers and two power (sighs) four it's like the Magic have 16 centers and Aaron Gordon's gonna play the three like there are still a lot of centers in the league it's very weird right
0: it is very weird and I'm glad you brought the Magic because it seems like where everybody is sort of zigging they decided to zag this summer are you on board with what they're doing uh (laughs) not really um I think that did you you wrote about them this summer right
1: yeah I mean look I think that Frank Vogel's a really good coach and yeah. that they have interesting talent that he will get the most of. I just don't I, I just Jeff Green plus Aaron Gordon and Vucevic and Abaka and Biombo is too many big guys. And I don't really think Aaron Gordon well, look, I'm I'm interested to see Aaron Gordon play the three and like run, pick and roll and all of that. I, I don't know that he's ready for that kind of responsibility, particularly if Alfred Payton is also on the floor, but I'm I'm interested to see it. My guess is they'll get to mid season and be like, okay, he's probably more of a four. And if we put him in Ibaka out, that's a pretty effective four or five for us. And like they'll, I, like for all the talk about, you know, I wrote a pre, I would say negative column about the Magic. I they won thirty five games last year. I think if you told me they went forty one and forty one and sniffed the eight seed, like I, I don't think that's surprising. They
0: have talent and good coaching. They do have talent and good coaching. I, I, I am interested to see them play small because. Uh, of Gordon's athleticism and I think that I don't want to say it gets marginalized when he plays the three but I think there there's more value there at the four and I think with the way there's not as many sort of back to the basket post up centers there are good centers I agree with you there there's not as many back to the basket post up centers so you can play a at the five for stretches um, and then you sort of open things up a little bit more on the perimeter i love I love Fournier I like. I like his game. I like uh, he's young, and I like I like that signing this summer.
1: Yeah, Fournier is really good, and it's it's going to be very interesting to see because that was they essentially decided as an organization, Fournier is better than Oladipo. We're only going to keep one, and we're going to flip Oladipo in this very risky trade for Serge Ibaka, who you know, is, is I thought the best player in the trade for now. But Oladipo has looked pretty good in preseason, and and that's like a, it's almost like Kevin Pelton calls them challenge trades. It was almost kind of like a challenge trade. We think Fournier is better than Oladipo. We're gonna bet big on that, and uh, I think so far he has been. He's kind of more polished, a little bit bigger, rangier, better shooter, obviously. But that that will be interesting to watch going forward. The thing
0: sort of having to do with the Magic, but just in terms of how the league, in, in my eyes at least, works is like there is sort of the, the desire to, to copycat or sort of emulate what certain teams do. We're going to play this way. We're going to play fast and open. Uh, we're going to switch everything. We're going to play small, whatever it may be, but you have to have the personnel, and I think that's where a lot of people maybe, I don't want to say don't understand, but maybe just get it wrong when they sort of critique, you know, roster moves or uh, coaching lineups. It's like if you don't have the personnel to do it, you can't play a certain way.
1: Yeah, no, and or if you draft Rudy Gobert number twenty-seven and he turns out to be really, really good, and you already have Derek Favors, then you've got then all of a sudden you have the you have the opposite problem, which is you have the personnel to play really well in a different sort of way. Right, and I think Oklahoma City's been interesting in that regard. Now they're different now, obviously, in lots of different ways, but they bet big on we're going to be huge and we're going to have a ton- we're going to lead the league in offensive rebounding by a mile and we are going to like we're intentionally going to z- design our team to play a different style than the league is trending like that was very much on purpose and i think i you know again i think we'll see you know everyone wants to play four out spread pick and roll and not everybody can play that way and and or not everyone is going to want to play that way because when you get the number 1 or 2 draft pick that there's a certain guy that's number one, like Blake Griffin's number one,
0: and that's going to define the course of your franchise for a while. That's a great point. Who, I, I think I know the answer to this, but who has a better season this year, Utah or Minnesota? Oh,
1: I'm driving the Utah bandwagon, although um, Gordon Hayward has dislocated a finger on his left hand.
0: They've had some injury luck, or bad luck, I should say, in the know, last it's, couple it's years. Still, we're still 18 days from the
1: season no. to start. Maybe he'll be okay. I think Utah for sure, and I would say that I think the hype train has accelerated a little too fast for the Timberwolves. I think the Timberwolves are going to be solid, and Tibbs is Tibbs. I just think, yeah. like, I, I think people are getting a little
0: overexcited. Here's my thing with the T-Wolves. I think Tibbs adds a certain amount of wins automatically. I always felt that way uh, when I played for Stan. I felt like we were going to win a certain amount of games, no matter who was in and out of the lineup, no matter who was hurt, uh, just because of him. You know, do you know what I mean by that? Like just because of the preparation, the strategy, the adjustments, all that stuff, like he was going to win us some games. And I think so. I think there's added wins right off the bat. And then you have to, of course, look at uh, their young guys, the way to develop. My question with Minnesota, of course, is, is, is shooting. Do they have enough outside shooting to really make that, that huge jump?
1: Yeah. I mean, you're going to start Rubio. So that's a minus Wiggins so far is a minus shooting wise. Levine at the two is a plus, and then we kind of still don't know who is going to like lock into the, the front court partner with with Towns, but it seems unlikely that they're going to be a three-point shooter unless Tibbs just falls head over heels for Bailitsa. But Tibbs made a lot of hay in Chicago with big, big lineups where like both the big guys were at least good playmakers and mid-range shooters before Noah forgot how to do that. And I think maybe with like Gorgie Jang and Towns, it may look that way. But yeah, I agree with you. Their, their shooting is suspect and their depth, uh, it's uh, a little shakier than I think people realize. But, you know, I'm, I'm excited. About, I am excited about that. I'm excited to have Tibbs back in the league. He's a character. The NBA is better when you have your
0: characters <laughs> in it. You're listening to the Vertical Podcast with JJ Reddick. Zach, as you know, I travel a lot. Sometimes I just want to close my eyes, throw on the headphones, and get lost in a great story. I'm going to hook you up with a great way to do that. Just remember this code, JJ, and you can get a free audiobook from Audible. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day trial membership. Just go to audible.com slash JJ and browse the unmatched selection of audio programs Download a title for free and start listening. It's that easy. Go to audible.com slash JJ. That's audible.com slash JJ and get started today. Audible content includes an unmatched selection of audiobooks, original audio shows, news, comedy, and more from the leading audiobook publishers, broadcasters, entertainers, magazine and newspaper publishers, and business information providers. There are free apps for iPhone, iPad, Android, and Windows Phone. So grab the free audio book with a 30-day trial membership by going to audible.com slash JJ. That's audible.com slash JJ. Now back to Zach Lowe. How many teams do you think have a legitimate shot to make the playoffs in the Western Conference? Um, Well, let's see. We have the eight holdovers from last
1: year plus Utah, so that's at least nine. Lake, I would say the question marks I have are Denver, and Minnesota, I think the Pelicans, if Drew Holiday and Tyreek Evans and Pondexter were all healthy, would be in the conversation or healthier available. In Drew's case, they'd certainly be in the conversation. I just think that they're they're a little bit too much of a question mark. And Denver is a very divisive team. Some people think they're going to get stuck at that 33-34 win mark. I'm more on the side of, like, just through kind of internal development, they may hit 38, and if you hit 38, like, some random stuff goes your way, or Dallas just collapses, or Memphis, or whatever it is, you're 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 maybe a couple wins away. And, and I saw, what does that give us, 10? I'll say 10. Or 11. The eight holdovers, Utah, Minnesota, and 11. 11 for eight spots. I'll go 11.
0: All right, that's, that seems fair. Thinking of, of Denver, and, and there's been a couple other teams that have been in sort of similar situations where they, they just continually are sort of drafting in that, like, 5 to 10 spot. They, they've never really—they've never, I guess, committed to sort of the, the, the extreme strategy of, of tanking. And is there a way to get— to sort of elite status by developing your own players or do you really i mean because I, I argue against tanking all the time i'm i i do we've never really talked about this but you know my my sense is that i'd always rather be one or two moves away than sort of you know five or six moves away and and hoping that the the balls bounce the right way and you get the, the one or two pick then you got to hope that the guy stays healthy and and is as good as everybody says he is I mean, I think the the two examples really for maybe three, it, it
1: depends on where you set the tanking timetable, right? Like the Hawks, everyone says the Hawks didn't tank, but like when they, when they had that 60 win season a couple years ago, look at that, they, they didn't tank, but like Al Horford was the product of tanking. It's just like so long ago, it almost doesn't count for, for when, <laughs> when they get good. So I think that, but like Indiana, I think has been consistently pretty good and didn't really, but like, what was their highest pick during their whole sort of morass, like nine, 10. Uh, yeah. Houston is another classic example of like they they just couldn't bottom out and Daryl flipped and flipped and flipped and flipped until he got hardened and then that kind of went wrong last year and they got a rebound again.
0: Cuban has refused. To put forth a bad product in any year. I mean, he has. He's. He's. They tried to make the playoffs, even if it's just seven or eight every year. But,
1: but they have. I mean, they didn't. I mean, Dirk was the ninth pick, I think. Um, yeah. Uh, or, or eighth or something like that. So they. But essentially, he is what you tank for, right? I mean, he is right. a top right. twenty, top fifteen all-time player, and it's just until he really falls apart, it's just going to be hard for them to be really, really bad when he plays and their coach is is unbelievable. But it, it, it is possible. It's just hard. And, but at, by the same token, we're sitting here talking about Orlando. They're the other team that sort of they went to the bottom and they never their highest pick was two in the draft that turned out to be a complete mess. And Oladipo is a nice player, but he's already gone. They're just kind of like, OK, we got to. Th-. And then they speed it up by getting all these veterans this summer. It's, it's not it's not a fail safe, which is why Philadelphia really game the system. Philadelphia understood tanking better than anyone who's tried it before. And said if you're really gonna do this, you gotta commit to doing it for like five years if you wanna like a better than fifty to sixty percent chance of success. And by the way, can I say something? <laughs> yeah. Why, why am I asking? I'm am a guest on a podcast. Yeah, of course please, I can talk. Say
0: I, I feel yeah, go I ahead.
1: wanna can I I'm going to cannibalize I'm gonna make the mistake of cannibalizing a column that I want to write. But like, remember lottery reform? What happened to lottery reform? Philadelphia was such a crisis. The whole league needed to vote on this revised lottery proposal so this could never happen again. And then they shuttled Jerry Colangelo in there, and then they shuttled Brian Colangelo in there, and they signed some veterans, and they're not tanking anymore. We don't care about that anymore. This has gotten done. We've washed our hands of the whole project. Who cares? The league. The, I tell you right now, the league is not doing anything on it. There's no more research, There's no more proposals. They've just, okay, we're done. Isn't that strange to you? The opportunity is still there.
0: I think it still needs to be addressed. I've mentioned this a few times on here, and I've mentioned it many times to the media. I am not a fan of the strategy. Hey, I hope it works out for Philly. But with Philly even, like, okay, so they're committing to this, let's say, for five years of this tanking strategy. But then what's the timeline after that to get back to – Okay, then then it becomes. Let's get a seven or eight C. Then let's get a four or five. You're just relying on sort of internal development, and I, I don't know. Is is the timeline ten years? Is it twelve years? What is the timeline?
1: Well, I mean, it just it depends on some what the supplementary moves are. But like if like you don't even have to get LeBron. Like LeBron single handedly makes you a good team, right? Like right. Dwight Dwight turned around the Magic pretty fast. I mean, we could we could find some other guys who like, you know, are so Kevin, good
0: that Kevin Durant, Westbrook. Well, they but, took, but,
1: a, they took a but, couple, I mean, it took like four of them and they but, took but a couple how, years.
0: Yeah, yeah. But Dwight, I think Dwight, uh, was it my rookie year? We made, we were the eight seed. So that was, uh, his third year. And then by his fourth year, we were sort of one of the best teams in the East, but how many of those guys exist? I guess that's my whole thing is like, you're betting a whole strategy on, on the fact that this once-in-a-generation player or twice-in-a-generation player is out there. What if he's not out there?
1: What if he doesn't exist? Or what if he breaks his feet over <laughs> and over again? What the? What was interesting about them was, you know, two summers ago, you know, they called Kawhi Leonard's agent and they called Jimmy Butler's agent and they said, hey, what do you think of being the guy who you, you, you see some of the young guys we have now? We're going to have more coming in. What do you think about being the guy who sort of becomes our like three or four years older centerpiece and leads us to the promised land when all those guys are ready, and they banked on at some point we're going to be appealing enough. Maybe we maybe we're the young team that wins thirty games. Maybe we're the next Timberwolves or like there's a buzz and that buzz is enough to get a guy from outside our team to come to us and put us over the top. And I just I, I you know. I, I don't know that that's ever going to happen. And it's not, with all due respect, that guy isn't, and they know this, it's not Gerald Henderson or Jared Bale. It's like somewhere down the line, they're counting on a big-ish free agent coming to their right. team.
0: Do you think they've done damage with, with agents though? I mean, well, I don't want to just talk about Philly, but I, I guess there's like, at least in my experience, there was a sense sort of that when teams were in the tank mode, they essentially sat free agency out. And so the agents maybe didn't take that the right way, and so maybe down the line, and maybe it's not in the next you know five or seven years, but maybe in the next two or three years, there is an opportunity to get someone, and there's still a bad taste in in agents' mouths. I think
1: that's the primary reason why Brian Colangelo is the general manager of the team now. I think that was. Yeah. that was part perception and part reality of the Sam Hinky regime was that they didn't spend in free agency agents complained that the communication wasn't as open and, and forthright maybe as, not forthright is the wrong word as open as it was with other GMs and, and that was Sam's style and I think that freaked like the rumblings of oh, the agents are mad. The agents are mad. And I'm sure agents would approach the owners and say we're mad. I think that freaked the ownership out. And and Brian is a is you know as well connected a guy as there is in the league, and he's a
0: he's a jovial fellow to talk to. And I think that's a big reason why he's there. Switching gears, by all accounts, uh, from what I've been hearing, the, this sort of the low key, very quiet, unlike last time, uh, CBA negotiations have been going well. And then of course Woj comes out yesterday and drops a woge bomb that you know we would you know we're going to get a deal done here in the next few weeks um have you been hearing the same thing yeah in fact
1: i have my column every year i read a column i'm mad at woge because every year i read a column <laughs> that's like 30 random predictions for the season or whatever yeah. and the first the first one is going to be there will not be a lockout and um i mean i've been you can listen and go back and read my writing since like 2014 i was on lockout optimist island and then it got more populated and uh I just have never really been convinced that it was inevitability. And over the last two, three, four months, you definitely started to hear, well, there's actual talks going on and they're cordial and like we're getting somewhere. And I would be, I, I don't want to say exactly what I'm going to say in the column, but let's, I would be blown away if there were a lockout. Now, if there were a lockout that caused games, I would fall off my chair. If there were even a lockout that didn't cause games, I would still be pretty damn surprised. You're listening to the Vertical Podcast with JJ Redick.
0: Zach, give me a minute to tell my listeners about SeatGeek. As a lot of you may know, buying tickets online for sports and concerts has been a confusing process for a long time. It's always been hard to find the best deal for that game or show you want to go to, and none of those other ticket sites want to change that. But SeatGeek is different. They've come along and created an amazing app and website that makes it easier than ever for fans to buy and sell tickets. SeatGeek is always the first place I go to to look for tickets to a game or concert. Everything about SeatGeek is designed to make life easier for sports and music fans. SeatGeek does all the price comparison for you by searching multiple ticket sites and ensuring that you get the best possible deal. SeatGeek does all the work and you save time and money. And SeatGeek wants to help you get the most bang for your buck. That's why every ticket on SeatGeek is given a grade based on value. You'll immediately see any underpriced seats and be able to find the best deal that fits your budget. Best of all, my listeners get a $20 rebate off their first SeatGeek purchase. To get your $20 rebate on tickets, download the SeatGeek app, go to the Settings tab, and click Add a Promo Code. Enter promo code JJ. SeatGeek will then send you $20 after you made your first ticket purchase. Download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code JJ today. Now let's get back to Zach Lowe. Uh, Having been through the last lockout... God, I hope that there's no work stoppage, because that was probably uh, the most frustrating of times. Just dealing with uncertainty as a player is so hard, and just as well as everything is going, at least from the player's perspective, given the contracts for the last two summers, given the contracts next summer, uh, from the owner's perspective, by all accounts, most of them are making money now. And the revenue sharing is going well. The TV contract there, you know, a lot of teams are pretty flush with cash right now. It seems like there will be something that gets done. The the only thing of course, that's interesting to me. And I think there's always going to be this problem when there's negotiations is, you know, Michelle represents a large constituency of a lot of different type of players, if that makes sense. So she's speaking for, you know, the max guys. She's speaking for the superstars. She's speaking for, you know the mid-level guys, the rotation guys. She's speaking for fringe players. She's speaking for uh, rookies. Uh, same thing with uh, you know Adam Silver. He's he's got small market owners. He's got large market owners. He's got owners that you know have TV deals that or the equivalent revenue of, of another team's entire revenue budget for the whole year. So there's a lot of sort of moving pieces. And I, and that's, I think, the challenge every time that the CB has to get, be negotiated is, is all the different voices in the room.
1: Well, to your point, you know, you're part of Michelle Roberts' membership. I've never really asked you about this. I, I mean, I'm looking now at the Players Union's leadership page. There are nine players with official titles from vice president to Chris Paul, who's the president and your friend and teammate. Four of them are Chris Paul, LeBron James, Carmelo Anthony, and Stephen Curry. And there's been this sense of like, Oh boy, are the are the superstars wrenching control of the union or at least its leadership away from the rank and file? And what is that going to do to the max contract? Are they going to push to abolish the max contract? And if LeBron's making fifty million, what does that mean for the you know the above average to slightly below average role players in the league? Has that ever been an anxiety for you or for have you heard people who are maybe like a step below the superstar? I mean, there's only fifteen yeah. twenty super sizes. That or has that been? Have you ever talked to Chris about that? How about
0: that? I have talked to Chris about it. I'm not going to go into what was said between us, but I've always gotten a sense from our union and sort of different conversations with guys that Chris, LeBron, Melo, Steph, like those guys sort of joining the executive committee had less to do with the interests of the Max players and more to do with showing sort of strength and solidarity towards the owners, because I know in the in the last lockout, you know, I'm not going to knock guys, but it seemed like our executive committee was mostly just like rank and file guys, and I, I, I think maybe it was more of a, a public show of sort of strength to get guys like Chris and guys like LeBron uh, involved in in the leadership part of our union. Interesting. Uh, did you
1: like the? I'm, I'm I'm asking you questions. I don't want to. Yeah, it's fine. Did you like the 66 game season?
0: Um. I like the condensed schedule. I'm 82 games. I am not. Listen, I want as much revenue as possible. <laughs> it helped. It does help I, you. You just, yeah, I just, no, I, just I, I just read, I, by I, the am, way, a ca- I am a capitalist. So I just I, read that
1: you brought up, you, I, you and I have been talking about this, but I, it, it got media coverage. Your purchase of a home
0: got oh, wow. it, it got
1: covered in the media.
0: <laughs> I've got to provide for my family. That's dude. how you know you've made it. When you buy yeah. a home and it's a story. Yeah, the new what it was, was it the New York Post? It was the Post, I think. Those those sons of bitches. I have a my wife and I bought a um, a little spot in in Brooklyn in Dumbo as a sort of an off season home. My wife's twin lives in New York, so but it, you did get some press. But that's not sort of the, the money making thing I'm talking about. Obviously, I want to have a roof over my head. But my point is is that when we had the shortened season, I actually loved it because you just played games. There wasn't a ton of practice. You know, besides maybe one or two weeks, it seemed like there was enough recovery in between games. Um, There wasn't as much downtime in the season. You just played. It was just like a great sort of schedule. I wouldn't want a shorter season. I want to play 82 games. But my my, and I I think I've said this before, but like my biggest thing that the change I would like to see is like let's have two preseason games. Let's start the season one or two weeks earlier. You know what? If it cuts into baseball, it cuts into baseball. But Let's get this thing going, and and that to me, if we're going to talk about schedule changes or, you know, shortening back to backs or you know shortening amounts of back to backs, like let's do that. Let's not do anything drastic where we're we're cutting out, you know, revenue from teams. Hey man,
1: I turned on. I, I sat down for dinner two three nights ago, put the baby to bed. She's not but put the toddler. What do you put my daughter to bed? Whatever you say. <laughs> So I had the house to myself. My wife had to say, you know, what What am I going to do with my time? The house is quiet. Let me flip on NBA TV and watch Orlando Cleveland preseason. And Bismack Biombo took like three fadeaway jumpers from the post. And after the third one, I said, what am I doing with my life? Like, what? why are we doing this? Why are we having this game? Why is this game being played? Why are there fans who have presumably paid to get into it? Let's just stop. And I flipped the channel. I stopped watching.
0: I hate to say this, but I I often think the same thing in the middle of preseason games. It's not – It's. It's. I don't want to say it's pointless because it's not pointless. But I think that in a short amount of time, you can sort of get into a rhythm of playing real games. And really, there's no substitute for playing a real game except playing a real game because your your approach – I mean, I I hate to say this as an athlete, but your approach for a preseason game and your sort of mental mindset is – it's just different it's just different, much in the same way that you know game fifty seven in in February is different from game five of the second round of the playoffs your your approach and your your mindset is a little different. I would imagine so. what else do you want to ask me about i don't want to again I feel like I'm hijacking your
1: podcast I don't want to do that it's your podcast it's the- <laughs>
0: I have a few more things I wanted to ask you about moving to the east. I, I know the, the Cavs are sort of the, the favorites to win the Eastern Conference, and Toronto, you know, I think did a good job getting Sullinger this summer, so they should be in the conversation at the top. Uh, I would assume the Celtics are are probably in that two or three range with the addition of Horford and having uh, the rest of the crew back. Who's the fourth best team in the East?
1: I think that's a completely wide open question. The two teams that I that I think sort of I, I had the most faith in for that spot were Indiana and Detroit. And now Reggie Jackson is gonna miss probably around twenty games and you know, it's easy to say, Yeah, okay, let's do the math and what's his wins above replacement and who's the backup. Okay, that only cost you like one or two wins. Like I'm not, I, I never am convinced about I, I feel like some injuries don't follow that math and this this could be one of them. So and I Indiana I, I don't love as much as most people, but I think on sheer talent They are a playoff lock. And after that, I mean, you start looking at the teams and like, you know, there's just I I got a lot of questions about all these teams. And if you if you told me any of them made the playoffs or any of them missed the playoffs, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, I'm sitting here. I'm going to have predictions about who I think is going to make it and who won't. But Indiana and Detroit, to me, felt the most solid, the most rock solid of those teams. So I would say one of those. And I guess now Indiana since since Detroit's gotten gotten dinged.
0: Do you expect Atlanta to have that sharp of a drop off then?
1: Uh, I think Atlanta... Are you,
0: are you more saying that Indiana-Detroit, you expected them to be a lot better?
1: I expect... I mean, a lot better is strong. I just didn't... I saw a pretty strong floor for both. Like, if, if some things go wrong, what's your... Like, just youth and continuity in Detroit's case and just sort of... Paul George is is awesome. And, and although I don't think they have enough shooting among the guys they acquired, all the guys they acquired are really good. And, yeah. and I think that adds up to something. Atlanta, to me, I mean... They're a puzzle. And, you know, I did a podcast with Kevin Arnovitz earlier this week. We picked our five most confusing teams. We didn't tell each other who we picked. And we both had Atlanta as either number one or number two on our list. And you just talk about the change and Kyle Korver's almost thirty six and, and new point guard starting and Dwight's there and, and Millsap is randomly just had a knee surgery. I think that they are they feel a little rickety to me, both stylistically and in, in terms of their roster, but we'll see.
0: You uh had your your release uh of your annual league pass rankings article this week. For anybody who wants to go read that, it's up on ESPN right now. You had us at number 3. You had us at number 3. I haven't read the top. I read I read your first sort of the part one, your first 16. I haven't read haven't read your top 15. And so so just – you're going to spoil it a little bit, but give me the reasonings behind us being three in your re- league pass rankings.
1: I thought – so I have a, I have a
0: very – You have a formula for this, a, by the let's,
1: way. Formula is glorified. Bill and I five years ago or whatever created a very stupid formula that was designed to be stupid. The whole point of it is that it's stupid and is like the polar opposite of analytics. But it is a formula and I have to abide by it. I thought you would rank lower, frankly, than three. And, uh, well, Warriors are one. I mean, like, the Warriors are just, it's it's a no-brainer. They've they've been number one three of the last four years anyway. And Cleveland is two, and it's hard to argue with that. And you guys, I love watching you guys play. Like, I lo- I, I think you're a real strong league pass experience. I thought this might be the year that you dip because I just kind of feel like you guys are, I, like, you're beautiful to watch and everything is very precise. I just feel like I've seen it a lot. Like, I can close my eyes and watch you guys play. <laughs> <laughs> the intrigue is a little bit gone and it, from stylistically, it's, it's beautiful to watch. It's just like, I feel like you're, you're kind of like an explosive, more sort of like, you know, dunky version of Memphis where I feel like I've seen, like I can close my eyes right. and see what Conley Gasol, Randolph and Tony Allen are doing. Of course, Randolph's coming off the bench now, but you get what I mean.
0: I understand what you're saying. So I, I'm I'm curious then, where did we get our points? Like where did we wh- where did we make up this sort of uh, boringness that we have to you?
1: Well, the boringness is still beautiful. So you got good <laughs> style points. You're in the there's a playoff s- slash zeitgeist category, and you're you probably scored a ten in that because you're going to be among the top five teams in the league, and everyone's you got all these outgoing free agents. You're going to be the subject of discussion all year mm-hmm. long. There you go. And uh, Star Power. Star Power is one of them too. And you got Chris Paul and, and I think Blake Griffin when he's – I mean, Blake Griffin before he got hurt last year was just tearing up the NBA and is very, very fun to watch when he's like in full-on tearing up the NBA mode. Can I tell you what didn't get you any points? Well, yes. Go ahead. Your logo. It's a, it's just a it's just a debacle. I'm sorry. I, I shouldn't have said that. Right.
0: No. You know what? This was my next question for you, so I'm glad you brought it up. I I'm not a huge fan of our logo. I'm not going to toe the company line here. What was the reaction with Chuck when when Chuck came out? Because I know you're you're big on logos and you're big on mascots. What was your reaction when when Chuck was introduced? Our our beautiful condor mascot. Um, I'm gonna have to look up a picture of Chuck. Um, I'm
1: hoping to see Chuck, and I'm I'm gonna be out in L.A. quite a bit this year, so I'll see you guys in person. Uh, I'm being see okay. Uh, <laughs> Wait, I, the bird you haven't seen Chuck yet? No, like, I've seen him. I just need okay, a refresher. I need okay, a refresher. Right. Um I just don't think a bird should wear shoes. A bird has big bird feet, and I get he's wearing Chuck he's wearing the, the all stars. I get his name's Chuck. I get it. I just don't think a bird should wear shoes. I don't think he needs knee pads. He's okay. I mean he's he's kinda I'm not
0: gonna lie, he's kinda goofy. He grew on me. Yeah, he grew on me. I was skeptical at first, but he grew on me. You've done some funny things. We we talked at the very beginning of this conversation about the technicality of your writing and, and all the great sort of basketball stuff in there. Um, but you also do, I believe, an annual mascot ranking or something along those lines. You have your league pass ranking. I know you're big on jerseys and logos and all that stuff. There's a lot of... A lot of good stuff that you like to write about there. So for this week's four on four, I'm going to give you two options here. Okay. Okay. Uh, Because I know you do your annual thing, so we're going to stay away from that. Your four favorite mascots of all time or your four favorite jerseys of all time. It could be any team, any era. Four favorite jerseys of all time or your four favorite mascots of all time. Oh, boy. How about we do jerseys? All right. Well, no. Well, I can mas- do any listen, do masc- mascots, you can do any sports. Jerseys, you- I want you to stick to the NBA.
1: Let's do mascots. All
0: right.
1: Four favorite mascots of all time?
0: Four favorite mascots of all time.
1: Mr. Met. All right.
0: Mr. Wait, are you are you a Mets fan or Yankees fan?
1: I'm a lapsed, lapsed, Mets, fan. lapsed um, Mets fan. is yeah. is the most accurate way to describe me. Okay. Mr. Met's got to be number 1. I, I don't have to rank them, but but after that, but Mr. Met's the best. Benny the Bull. you know i don't i'm not the classic answers are like the san diego chicken and the philly fanatic i don't they're fine they're not on the list it's benny the bull mr met i mean i'm sure there are hockey mascots i don't know about and like football mascots i don't know about but they don't none of them have really resonated right you know who i really liked i'll just name them because i'm running out of time i liked uh, hugo the hornet back in the day who i guess exists again now but uh, hugo back in the day was strong and
0: yeah. throwing it back to the 90s. I like it.
1: Let's go. Boy, oh, boy. I mean, there are a lot of good mascots, but let's go. What's the let's
0: guy?
1: Let's go. What, what's the guy in Denver? That, just, that's, a, we're on the same thing. He was always Rocky. a
0: favorite. Yeah, Rocky. Yeah.
1: Rocky. Rocky's good. Rocky, like, yeah. pioneered in the NBA the, uh, like, aggressive antagonizing of players, <laughs> which I which I like. So I'll go with, the, but I'm sure there's got to be, like, some baseball mascots. Um, I'm, we didn't even, talk, college is off limits, right? So I can't talk about your stupid blue devil with the messages on his headband. Um, yeah,
0: I mean, I, just if you could, at any point in time, just not. Like refrain, you know, just refrain from just the Duke shots, like just unnecessary. You, you know?
1: you've, you've done a whole podcasts about being <laughs> the guy that everyone hated at Duke. I tend to gravitate toward the goofy college mascots. Like I like the Stanford. Tre- I'm the guy who likes the Stanford tree and the Syracuse like orange guy. I yeah. like those Syracuse
0: like- orange guys all the time. The, all the ESPN, uh, the old the Sports Center. This is Sports Center commercials where like they had the mascots in the elevator at the the offices or whatever. Those were those are some of the best ones. Those are some of the best ones. I was with Stuff for seven years. Um, I I was always a little partial to Stuff. I thought Stuff was a good mascot. He was very, um, I'm going to say this in the nicest way possible. He was perfect for Orlando. Yeah. He was perfect for Orlando. He really was.
1: Stuff is solid. Stuff has got the, he he can do the thing where the stuff comes out of his nose. I like that. The streamers come out of his nose. Yeah, okay.
0: Of the newer logos or jerseys in the NBA, Give me, give me your favorite. In the last, you know, four or five years, what is your favorite? Newer logos or jerseys? Let's
1: see. I think Toronto looks really sharp right now with that ball, the claw in the ball, and their jerseys where they had the black. Except for the Drake jerseys, which I don't like. The black and the and the bright red. I think those are nice. The Hornets are like old and new, right? Like they have this yeah. new like sharp diagonal hornet, and I like their teal stuff has always been awesome. What else is new? The Buck stuff. Last couple of years, the Buck stuff has been really strong. They kind of went – they have this designer in Brooklyn that they use who did a really nice job sort of updating, modernizing, cleaning up. I, those, those are the ones I like. The Brooklyn – what do you think of the Brooklyn, like the black and white motif? Do you like that?
0: I mean it's not the most creative but i i mean like when i dress off the court i generally dress like in sort of black and gray and so it's like i like the colors i guess um yeah i mean it's it's fine those
1: are the ones that come to i don't know that there's been any new jerseys Yeah, that... just
0: the clippers is is being awesome yeah um yeah um <laughs> Well, Zach, I appreciate all the time, man. Uh, you've been a great guest as always. Uh, this has been fun. Love chatting with you, man. And all the best to you this year, man.
1: I will see you in L.A. soon enough. And uh, good luck to the Clippers. It's a big year for you guys. A lot of free agents you may have heard of on the Clippers this year. It's a big year.
0: Yeah. JJ Rex one of them. All right. <laughs> Thanks, bud. All right, man. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Vertical Podcast with JJ Reddick. I'd like to thank today's guest, Zach Lowe. Remember to subscribe and listen to new and archived episodes wherever you listen to the podcast. And be sure to subscribe to the Vertical Podcast with Woj and the Vertical Podcast with Chris Mannix. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Play, and you can now hear the Vertical Podcast Network every weekday at 3 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM Satellite Radio, on Sirius Channel 214, XM Channel 203, and on the Sirius XM app on Channel 967. My podcast airs on Sirius XM every Monday and Thursday, the Vertical Podcast with Chris Mannix every Tuesday, and the Vertical Podcast with Woj every Wednesday and Friday. As always, you can tweet me, at JJ Reddick, for any questions and comments. I'd also like to thank our sponsors, European Watch Company, Audible.com, Harry's Razors, and SeatGeek. Be sure to support them the way they support us here at The Vertical Podcast. We'll catch you next week. This has been a digital media production.
1: Find your voice.